Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Why is there so much evil in the world? Why in the world is there so much evil? It's the number one question I'm asked as a pastor. You're going to tell me that this loving God lets all these terrible things happen. I mean, come on. We just had the shooting at Miller, Molston Coors. We had the shooting of people who went to work like any other day, said goodbye to their loved ones. Yet someone, a trusted coworker, walked in and opened fire, and they're not going home. And then you look at the coronavirus, and it's spreading, and there's this fear, and people are dying, and people are becoming so afraid of this disease. And you're going to tell me there's a God that loves us, that lets this happen? And then we look into media, and we see all these sex crimes that are happening, all the abuse that is happening, all these things that are happening, not only in the news, but in all of our lives. And I'm going to be honest with you. I took a few seconds and Google searched the news and scrolling down, there's at least five negative messages to one positive. And it's just, it's heavy. It's, it's hard on our hearts to see this day in and day out. And so people come and say, tell me something, oh pastor who represents God. Tell me why there is so much evil in the world. It seems like our world is getting worse and worse. In fact, from my perspective, the generation before us always thinks this is the worst generation, but then the next generation comes and thinks, well, this is the worst generation. It seems to be like this snowball effect of worse generations for those who are part of the GI generation or part of the World War II generation. Adolf Hitler and what he was doing to the world said this is the most evil, corrupt time in human history. But when we look back through history, we find that there's generations and pockets of people that created such mass atrocities and so much pain and evil, and it seems, why in the world is this happening? If there's a God that loves us, why is there so much evil? This is a difficult topic, and quite honestly, one that we don't want to talk about, because it starts to wreck a little bit, and for those who have faith in Christ, Maybe you haven't explored this topic, or maybe you just want to touch the surface of it a little bit, but this is a hard topic. Because in one sense, we're saying God loves you so much, but yet you are sitting in this terrible place where terrible things are happening all the time. What is it about this God? To know what's happening here, we have to go back in the story. In the very beginning of the time, the start of the Bible, we see the story, and God starts creating things. In the book of Genesis, God starts creating, and he starts making things with his, with his word, and things are coming to existence, and he, he really likes it. He says it's good. And he keeps making all these things, and then he comes to this beautiful part where he makes us. And he makes us, and he uses these terms. He, he likes us. But in the story, as we see it, God does something unique with humans. He doesn't do it with any other part of humanity. He takes and he breathes into us, that he creates and forms out of the ground. So something which he has already created. He now takes that which he's created to create another thing. And he creates man and he breathes into us. 
been lots of debate and lots of fun theological books all about that one topic. What did it mean when God breathed into Adam? What did it mean to have this whole new way about us versus all of creation? What did it mean when it says that we are made in God's image? And so lots of conversations, lots of debates. I don't know the exact answer. I've read it all. I've got lots of ideas. But all I know is this. If I just get down to the very simple topic, God created us set apart from the rest of his creation. And that's unique, special. And then he gives us these commands. He gives us a job in Genesis 1.28. Two clear commands. Be fruitful and multiply. At the same time, you have dominion over everything. You get to rule everything. So he says this. Go and make lots of babies. At the same time, you get to rule over everything I just created. Nobody else he says that to. What a unique place. What an honor and a gift. Humans, above everything else, are given the highest role in all of humanity. But Genesis 2, 15 and 17, there's a prohibition. He says this, I don't want you to eat from a tree that's in the middle, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to eat from it. You have all of this. Please don't do that. I don't want you to do that. And now the twist of the story comes. Why did, where do we mess this thing up? Like everything is perfect and we're creating God's image and all these wonderful things are happening. And as the story starts progressing, we see this tree and then Adam and Eve choose, they take this tree and they eat from it. Why would we do that? Like what inside of us says, I really, really want to disobey God. Now, we don't live in perfection, but they did. And in this perfection, for whatever reason, they do. And so we see that Eve is deceived by this serpent, and this serpent comes and is like, ah, you know, do you really think that there's something here that God doesn't want you to know? And then like a virus, sin is released into the world. Before that, this was not there This one motion, this one movement, this one disobedience unleashed a virus that's spread through everything. And so what happens in this one thing, sin has caused a huge mess. It causes death. In Genesis 2, 17 and 3, 19, we see that death now comes because of sin. We see broken relationships. Genesis 3, 16b, we see pain and suffering in 3, 16a, 17b. We see drudgery or the pain of work. Because in the beginning, we're created. God created us this beautiful thing to, to work, but it wasn't a drudgery. It was a joy. We get to be with God and take care of everything. So all of a sudden, we go from this beautiful situation to this hot, flaming mess called sin. But it's easy for us to sit here and say, you know, even Adam, in their disobedience, get to pass this disease down through the generations. And so it's spreading like wildfire from generation to generation. But it's easy to point the finger at them. So I just want to pause and say, let's just point the finger at ourselves. How many times have you released the virus of sin into the world? You alone. I want you to start counting, since you were born, the number of times that you personally have used your words to hurt somebody. You were selfish instead of sacrificial. You hated instead of loved. Just start adding those times up. 
And for us who are older, middle-aged, we say, okay, I've, I've lived half of my life. And, and I look back in my life and say, you know, I've done some, some really great things and I've done some really terrible things. And I, I just want to count the good things and kind of move on from the bad things. But those who are younger, they're like, well, I'm messing up and making mistakes now. Those who are older than I, who've lived generation before me, they're like, the numbers of mistakes that I alone have made are enough to fill a silo. And you start putting all of this together. We alone in this room are the cause of the virus of sin. Not anybody else, it's us. Now you could say Adam and Eve and their disobedience released it into the world. It opened the box that this virus now goes out. And now this thing called sin is infecting us to such a great place that we're, we're just part of it now. But can you hold the responsibility that this week alone, we released sin into the world. We did. And so when I look at this, it's hard to look at the cause of evil, but we have to go backwards to see what happened and what is the solution for all of this. Because like our ancestors, we choose to obey, disobey God as well. Sin is this disobedience, this movement away from what God has in perfection into our own ideas. When God says love, we choose hate. When God says obey, we disobey. So God has placed for us this simple way of living. It's easy. You go all the way back to the garden. Just do what I told you to do. And we say, no, no, I don't want to. And this is the weird thing about sin. Because I want to just kind of forewarn you, this is a heavy topic. So just be really honest with yourself. Here's the hard thing about sin. You will do anything you can in your mind to justify that you're okay doing what you're doing, even though you know it's wrong. You'll make up stories, you'll make up laws, you'll make up rules. You'll flip through the Bible and say, the Bible doesn't really say that. He didn't really mean I couldn't do this, but God wouldn't want me to not have fun and fill in the blanks for all these things. And so then our disease, we start giving an excuse for. So as it's literally killing us, destroying our lives, destroying the lives of our friends and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors, we now start to give it an excuse and say it's not that big of a deal. The big ones, murder, well, I'm not going to murder anybody. That's huge. But the fact I'm disobeying God just a little bit in the private of my home where nobody else knows, well, that's not sin. It's just not that big of a deal. So let's explore this together. Let's take this problem. If there's so much pain and evil in the world, where did this come from? How are we part of it? And then what is God's answer or solution for this problem? I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 7. And this is a long passage. If you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, uh, feel free to use those as well. Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 7. I want you to listen to the story, and I want you to get a clear image of how we and they fail to obey God's commands. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals of the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. 
For you will certainly, not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So Satan comes in this form of a deceptor. And they're sitting there, and he's, he starts asking these questions. Like, are you really sure? And the first thing he does is he creates doubt. The first thing he creates doubt, he asks, did he really say you're not supposed to eat of the tree? Like, did you misinterpret him? Did God really say that? Is that what God really wanted? And so she starts to think, well, uh, uh, yeah. No, wait, no, he said this. But what did he really mean by it? So doubt starts to creep into her. Now, I want to go back for a second and go back to this relationship that Adam and Eve have with God. Adam and Eve get to just hang out with the one who creates them. Now, their job is to make babies and to rule over everything. So they're doing this, and God just hangs out with them. Just, just hangs out. They walk through the garden. They're talking. So obviously, this isn't in there. This is my narrative. Adam, how's your day? Oh, man, the platypus god? Really? Were you serious with that thing? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? Like, yeah. Like, you put all the parts of different animals, like, shoved them together, you know? Like... And so they're walking, and they're having this relationship with God. And this relationship with God is they're walking and talking. There's an intimacy with God, an intimacy with their creator that, that he has with them that's different from everything else. And so here's Adam and Eve, and they, they get to take care of things, and they're naming the Adam. It's all this beautiful relationship going on, and that there's something going on that when she comes to this tree, and he starts talking in her ear, and he says... I don't know, did God really say that? And she's like, you know, he said it. And she's staring at the tree. So doubt creeps in. Then there's confusion over God's word or what God has spoken. The confusion comes in. He flips it around. Why would God do that to you? Like, why wouldn't he want you to be like him? Like, don't you want to know what's different between what's good and evil? Like, because remember, God created and he said it was good. It wasn't good and evil. It was good. There was not a human that was good and evil. It was good. And so he's like, did he really? I mean, doesn't he want you to be like him? Hmm? And so she's sitting back looking at this tree. Confusion now is starting to creep in about what did God really say about this tree? And so she takes a look at it. And then she's like, you know what? Looks pretty good. Looks good. I guess I can eat it. I'm not going to die if I eat it. Like, now, I don't know if there were things that you would die if you ate in the garden at that time, like, you know, poisonous berries. I don't know anything about that. I assume not. We don't know. But it says it looked good and tasty. She's like, well, it looks good for food. I'm not chewing on bark here. So she looks at it, and she's not making a decision about if she's hungry or not. She's making a decision of, do I want to be like God or not? Like, I can be just like him. Now, one of my asides of this that I've always found interesting about this chapter is that I wonder in her mind as a good father and such a great God and all these, he's so wonderful, I want to be like my dad. 
I want to know what he knows. I wonder if there was, I don't know if there's malice inside of her at that point. Like, I want to know what's good and evil. I think like, I want to be like my dad because she didn't know good or evil at that time. She's being deceived and God's word's being twisted. And that's what sin does. Sin twists God's word. It twists what is good. And one of the things of sin that that I, I help to explain people to is that we often think of Sin is being this like absolutely all the way in left field. If I said to you, is murder wrong? I'm hoping all of you would say yes, okay? So murder is wrong. That's, that's like a, that's an easy bucket, okay? But what about just a little twist? Just maybe we go one degree to the left. God's way is straight, just one degree to the left or right, just a little bit. And we say, well, that one is not that big of a deal. That one isn't as much of a sin, but that is a twisting of what God said. It's not what God said. God said, true north is the way I'm directing you. Don't twist it a left or right. No, true north. So here this woman sits here, and these conversations are happening. There's doubt. There's confusion. And that's the deception of sin. It drags you in with doubt it twists what God says, and now this deception puts you into a place, I need to justify what I'm doing. Because now doubt and confusion bred disobedience. Doubt and confusion breeds disobedience. Eve looks at the fruit, she considers it, might be so good. Eh, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, does he really know? Maybe I'd be like him. She eats of it, and now we're sitting here today by that disobedience. How serious is God about sin? I just want you to hold that for a second. How serious is our God about living a life, acting, thinking, being anything outside of what he creates to be, which is good? He created us to be good. We are created to be good. Remember, he created earth. He takes dust. He forms us. He breathes into us. He says, I'm going to make them like us. They're going to have some qualities like God. And so he made us special. He calls us sons and daughters. And these beautiful relationship we have with him, but then this twisting of this disobedience slides down into a huge mess. C. John Miller makes this observation about truly acknowledging our sins. We try to hide from God, but the normal Christian life is one where sins are confessed daily on the basis of free justification through faith in Jesus. Do you know your sins? You may think you're a good person, but do you gossip and complain? Do you look down on others? Only when you know you're a sinner is there hope that you will find grace. You don't know you have a debt and can't be happy when it's paid. Acknowledging our fall, the fact that we are part of the problem is the entryway into understanding that our slight twisting or our major twisting, it doesn't matter how much you twist it, it's all apart from what God had for us. That which is good is no longer good. It's tainted. It's no longer good. But then we read on. So now Satan tricks Eve. She bites the fruit. First thing she does, she gives it to her husband. Uh, that's for a different message, different day, marriage retreat. But she, um, she takes it. She's like, hey, this fruit's good. And so he eats of the fruit. And the first thing they do is they recognize. And if you don't know what sin, how, what sin looks like, sin hides. Sin likes darkness. It doesn't want to be exposed. 
Anything that is in the darkness feels like it can hide. And when you read the scriptures over and over again, Jesus is called the light. He exposes things for what they are. So every time sin happens in your life, the first thing you want to do is cover it up, hide it, because you don't want it to be exposed. Or there's the other side of sin. You boast in sin, so you tell everybody about it. And you claim, I am so good, look at all my wonderful deeds. And you boast, even though it's evil and corrupt, and you're like fanning a flame of darkness deeper into the, into the world. But sin in and of itself is a place of hiding. And so when Adam and Eve recognize what had happened, they go to a place of hiding. So God's response is clear. Genesis 3, 14 through 19. If you're still in the Bible, your apps are moving forward just a little bit. It'll be on the screens. God has this response. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above, uh, above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put an amenity between you and the woman and between the offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit, the tree in which I command you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. But by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food till you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. God curses us. It's done. He says to us, okay, okay, this is what you want, this is what you get. And so now the curse upon woman, curse upon man, curse upon ground, curse upon Satan. And one of the things that I've noticed in here as you look is that the man and woman who are once together pointed towards each other. If you look inside the scripture, man and woman, together, united. She, they're made together. They're doing this wonderful thing. They're walking with God. It's a beautiful story. And then this happens. He says, you know what, woman? I'm going to tell you something. You're going to bend your life towards your husband. And your husband's going to bend his life towards his work. Think about this for a second, relationship people. The woman is looking to connect with the husband. The husband looks to connect with his work. He is going to toil, and it's going to be terrible. Work is going to be hard. The woman is looking to connect. His, his attention turns away, and this curse now curses our relationships. Curse goes our relationship between each other, between individuals, between our land. This was not a small thing because we disobeyed. Good was taken out of the picture, and now evil has entered. And there it is. We have this disobedience. We're separated. And this is what Lent is all about. This is the story of Lent. For those who are new to Lent or maybe have not celebrated or thought of it before, we have 40 days, not including Sundays, in which we take time to prepare ourselves for what's going to happen on Good Friday and Easter. And depending on your background, and if you've different church backgrounds, some celebrate with ashes to remember, hey, this is what you were made from, and this is what you're going to go back to do. Back to some choose to take, and I'm going to sacrifice something for a time. I'm going to remember the fact that I'm mortal. I'm going to remember the fact that God's bigger than me. No matter what it is, this series of Lent is huge because our sins 
This is what's now unleashed into the world. And I wish I could say to you today with all good confidence, hey, the curse was on Adam and Eve and on the earth, but don't worry, we're not keeping this thing rolling. But like we talked about in the beginning, we are keeping this thing rolling. You are keeping this thing rolling. We're contributing to it all of the time, over and over and over again. This flood of sin isn't something that has stopped. It just keeps permeating everywhere because of us. The curse, God. Remember, it's not just the big thing to the left or big thing to the right. It's the twisting, the confusion, the twisting God's word, which is causing disobedience. So I'm going to have the ushers come up right now. For part of our talk, we're handing out vials to you with that verse. I'm asking you to hold on to this as we continue our time in our message. These vials are filled with ash. It's a reminder. From dust you were created. From dust you will return. This is the result of our sin. This is it. We are done for. This is the reality of humanity because of sin. And it's heavy, and it's hard, but I'm going to ask you to put this in a place where you see it for the next 40 days as we continue to celebrate in this Lenten time to remember that this is the reality of what sin has caused. Every time you sin, it's a big deal. Every small disobedience, every twisting, every time you're saying God's word doesn't really say that, every time you're confused, fooled, not paying attention to, every time disobedience comes in, this is the result. From dust you were created, from dust you will return. Now enters the story of death. We weren't created that way. We were created to be with our Father in that community of talking about platypus and talking about life and being in community together. But here is the twist in the whole story. You created the ashes. Jesus Christ created an answer. If we do not understand the weight of the ash that's in your hand, you will not understand the power of the cross on Good Friday. This wasn't something small. Jesus is the only answer that we had to be able to fix the problem, the sin in which we've created. Because now he says, I'm going to do something huge for you. Because many scholars believe what was breathed into us at that time in the garden was our eternal life, our soul, our eternal being with God. That he didn't do it to anything else, but he says, this I create to be with us forever. And so he creates this relationship where we're supposed to have community with God. And then we blow everything up. But then the gospel comes. So God now in the story of humanity says, I'm going to fix the problem which you've created. But it's going to cost everything. It's going to take sacrifice. And you can't do it because you keep sinning. If we did not continue sinning, if the virus wasn't inside of us, if we stopped it, maybe there was a chance. Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't matter. We can dream all day. We didn't stop it. You're not stopping it. I haven't stopped it. The problem keeps continuing. So Jesus says, I have an answer for you. It can end if you trust in me. And he comes as a man, as a mortal man, 
at the same time the eternal God, and he brings those two together. And Jesus comes and walks on earth, and he tells the story of what God means about living a life with him. I'm telling you, there's a new way of living. There's a new hope. I am the new hope. And so Jesus comes, and he's the only way that things can be taken care of is God had to sacrifice. He took his own son. Because he didn't sin, because he didn't make the mistakes we did, he lived a perfect life, died in our place. So now the relationship between God and us is not that he looks at you and thinks, okay, everything's gone. What he does is he looks at us and sees his son, Jesus Christ. And so he alone is the answer that we have for salvation. So he sees his son and sees us through that lens, and we're called righteous because of Jesus. But God didn't come to eradicate sin in our physical body. He didn't come to eradicate the curse. What he did is he flipped the curse upside down because from that moment, we not only died from ashes of body, we died eternally, eternal death forever. Everything was done. We were toast. It was terrible. But God flipped it. And Jesus says this, I'm going to give you two things when I came that's going to give you hope. First of all is this, you have the ability and possibility right now on this earth to be saved from eternity, and I'm going to save you. Just got to trust I'm your Savior. That's it. Secondly, I'm going to release the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to come into the world, and he's going to show you how to stop sinning. He's going to show you and talk with you. He's going to counsel you, and he's going to give you a new life, a new purpose. This is an amazing story. And I ask the question, why? Why would he do it? I don't know. My only answer is that he must really love us. He must really love you. If you don't feel valued today, and you feel you're not worth anything, he really loves you. He breathed life into you. Story of my son when he was born as we had complications. And my son, as he was born, he wasn't breathing. He came out, he was a month early. There were complications, his lungs weren't formed yet. And I remember, I mean, it's just a, a blur to me. I remember cutting the cord. They threw the scissors in my hand. I cut the cord. We had like eight doctors in the room. He was a high-risk pregnancy. And they take him, and they put him over in this room, and he's turning blue. He's not breathing. And he's dying in front of us. And so my wife is on the bed, and she's looking over to the side, and there's nothing we could do. I'm looking as a helpless father as my son is unable to breathe. He's unable to take that breath. And they're pounding on his chest, and they're doing all these things, and they're shaking him and trying to get him to take that breath. Because once we cut the cord, he was cut off from life. Once he was cut off from life, he was now dying. It seemed like a half an hour to me. I don't know how long it was because it didn't matter. Could have been 30 seconds to a minute. I don't know. But I remember my wife looking and turning her head, just pleading, come on, Caleb, take a breath. Come on. That was the most helpless I've ever felt in my life. Here my son 
is dying. And then, in a fail swoop, I heard oxygen rush into his lungs. And the loudest cry, the greatest cry I've ever heard in my life, because after that, it got really annoying to hear a baby cry, but the first one was great. (laughs) And to this day, I tell the story, as much as I love you, I could not give you life. I watched God breathe into you, and you live because of that. He, He alone gave breath to my son. He took the breath He could breathe. He is alive. And no matter how hard I tried, no how good I was and all the good things I did and all the wonderful things, and I was a good dad and I was a pastor and I did all these wonderful things for the community. And why, God, are you having this happen to me? He alone chose to give him that breath. And from that day on, I said, I'm not your real dad. God alone's your dad. He's the one who can give you life, both here on earth and for eternity. That is the God we serve. As much as I love you, I can't give you life. He alone can. As good as you are, you cannot get life. The only thing that can give you life is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And if you do not have that relationship with him, I'm begging you to find it and find him today. If you do have a relationship with him, I'm begging you to never let go of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has saved you. Every day you wake up and take a breath, you are alive because he's given you that breath. And he's breathing into you every day. And though our bodies are going to go back to the ash which you hold in your hand, at the same time, those in Christ, that's just all it is is a transition into what he created us to be. And we go back to where we were in the Garden of Eden, back in the relationship with God. When you read Genesis and you flip all the way to Revelation, the end of Revelation, everything goes back to the way it was. Sin is eradicated. Death is defeated. Jesus wins. He came as a baby in December at Christmas time. When he comes back, he's on a horse. He's a king. He is wrecking shop for his kingdom and his people. That's my king. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.